0: Hey, everybody. (laughs) This is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman, back for the 160-something, I don't know what it is, uh, Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. We are thrilled to have you with us. It is January 22nd, 2024, our second gathering of the the new year, of the apocalyptic 24 turning point, where we're going to decide whether or not we're going to be a dictatorship or a democracy. Um, We are starting with 32 people. It is a rainy day in Southern California, contrary to what you're seeing me on the beach here. And we are going to start with a a discussion of of a major uranium issue. Uh, We are going to talk about uh, 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 Julian Assange, Cop City, um, uh, and many, many other things in the first hour. And then in the second hour, we're going to do a deep dive on um, (coughs) uh, universal health care. Uh, We have with us the godfather of the Affordable Care Act, Joel Siegel, uh, talking to us from uh, North Carolina, getting a round of applause there. Also going to talk about a new bill in California uh, designed to keep foreign money out. We'll uh, uh, pass by Diablo Canyon and much, much more. Uh, We're looking for a full two hours here, all the way to 420, when everybody can leave and go toke up. We're just now joined by Paul Newman, who has solar panels on his house. And we'll see if they're continuing to operate, as I'm sure there are. So Lynn Feinerman, you have asked, we're going to start now with um, uranium. You have asked uh, us to have a discussion uh, uh, about a critical issue, and you've brought on a guest. Can you introduce your guest and tell us uh, what what we want to talk about here on this uranium uh, issue? I want to say, by the way, we have the, the chair of the KPFK uh, radio board with us, Tatanka Bricka and um, um, a, a numerous other major, major activists. So it's great to Nancy Naparko and so many others. So go ahead, Lynn Feynman, tell us uh, about this issue and uh, who you want to uh, introduce.
1: Yeah,
2: um, Harvey, I'm not sure that she's on with us yet. Uh, her name is Leona Morgan. Can you, uh, Leona, can you let us know if you're with us?
1: Okay,
0: we'll wait for Leona. Um, um, uh, you let us know when she's on. Uh, Justin, uh, um, you, you Justin LeBlanc, you have raised an issue uh, of a piece of legislation in California meant to uh, curtail uh, foreign money in our politics. Uh, do you want to talk about that, please? As we uh, move ahead, go ahead,
3: uh, Justin. Are you are, okay? Got on mute. There we go. Mm, there we yes. go. Okay. So, hello. Uh, the b- quick backstory is the SEC and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce got together, decided that influence. Uh, by a company, was at a 1% individual and 5% group threshold. And uh, constitutional scholars, even Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, have said that uh, foreign citizens have no standing in domestic elections. So bills have been crafted in Seattle, passed in 2018, Minnesota passed in 2023, uh, Maine passed in November of 2023, and now the city of San Jose just this month have passed bills to get foreign money out of uh, the campaign contributions and independent expenditures, ad money for uh, elections. And uh, so Michelle Sutter is the sponsor of the California bill, AB 83, organizational sponsor, and she will tell you how it's progressing. Well, what are,
0: what are the actual um, uh, provisions of the bill? How does it work? How, how are you going to? Uh, uh, keep foreign money out of our election?
4: I can take that one.
0: Okay, please.
4: Hi, everyone. So when the court in the Citizens United decision decided that U.S. corporations could contribute unlimited amounts of money from their corporate treasuries in our elections, they hung that rationale on the idea that U.S. corporations were associations of citizens, and at the time the court made that ruling, probably around 9% of all of the shares held in U.S. corporations were, were, were held by foreign investors. That number has now skyrocketed. It's over 40% of all of the shares held in U.S. corporations would be uh, are now currently held by foreign investors. This is, of course, uh, um, a sovereignty and self-governance issue. It's also a national security and election protection um, issue. And so when this became clear to FEC Commissioner Ellen Weintraub, she contacted the folks at Free Speech for People, whom you may have seen in the news about their 14.3 removing Trump from the ballot uh, actions across the country. And they developed this model legislation, which, as Justin points out, has been law in Seattle Uh, It became law in Minnesota in May, was just passed in San Jose. And in addition to California, it is now pending in New York State, where it passed their Senate earlier in the month in bipartisan fashion, uh, Hawaii, Massachusetts and Washington state. And the way that it works is, uh, as Justin mentioned, um, the SEC set thresholds of one percent, actually under one percent, as where Influence happens in a corporation. So that's the first threshold if a single foreign investor owns 1% of a corporation. And as we know, that's tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. Similarly, the 5% threshold came actually from a congressional bill called the Williams Act, which established that at 5% aggregated uh, investors had a similar um capacity to influence um how a corporate uh how uh, a corporation behaved so this is a really elegant um bill its enforcement mechanism is incredibly simple and elegant it is a, a, an affidavit signed by the ceo of any corporation saying on x date X Corporation was not a foreign influenced corporation. The only place where we have seen this in action so far is in Seattle in their municipal elections. And they got less than 20 certificates filed uh, making contributions. Amazon, which had threatened to sue them into the Puget Sound if they passed <laughs> this legislation, not only didn't sue them into the Puget Sound, but they stopped making. Uh, donations in their municipal elections, and they'd been playing to the tune of about a million and a half dollars in municipal elections in in Seattle. Um, So we don't think they're going to cheat. The penalty for them is an actual crime. So that is an enormous deterrent. Uh, And, um, you know, the Supreme Court made a mistake. They're making lots of mistakes. And this is one that we can actually fix. Um, As Justin mentioned, It is on the floor of the Assembly now. The vote will either be on Thursday or on Monday next. And we are very close, but we're not over the line. Because this bill amends the Political Reform Act of 1974, it requires a two-thirds majority. So that's 54 votes. And, um, we are within a couple of votes, so the PDA action is going to be critical. Anybody else, please call your assembly member to make sure that they're an I vote on AB eighty three, um, and um, we are, uh, you know, leaving no stone unturned to to get this done. So just give them a call if you know. I, I'm sure that you guys are very seasoned, and you know that there's a formula for the phone calls in the assembly. It's uh nine one six three one nine two zero, and then your assembly district. for example, I'm in assembly district sixty one, so I'm nine one six three one nine two zero six one.
0: Wow, will you put all that in the chat and uh, Michelle, it's great for you to join us. You're obviously a great organizer. I hope you'll come to the to the cause uh, going forward. It's terrific. So um what is the bill number? a b
4: eighty three the Get Foreign Money Out of California Elections Act. Uh, oh, and when we talk to people about this bill, in fact, even legislators, uh, I remember one the first time I met with them and they said, wait, isn't foreign money already not allowed in our elections? And yes, they're mm. absolutely right. Um, that's U.S. code. That Foreign money is not allowed either directly or indirectly. And what we're addressing are those indirect contributions so that when the court opened it up to corporate money, all of that foreign investment that comes into U.S. corporations mixes up in the corporate treasury with the U.S. money. And then when it comes out it being donated to campaigns, it uh, it, it there's uh, quite obviously foreign money in there. Um, one of the ways that this has really harmed California in particular is uh, in ballot measures. I'm sure you all remember Prop 22 from 2020, where the legislature had passed a law and the governor had signed a law regarding gig workers, uh, granting them wages and increased benefits. But um, Uber and Lyft and the rideshare folks did not like that at all. Uber uh, enjoyed a three and a half billion dollar investment from Saudi Arabia and Lyft had a $10 billion investment from China, and they spent over $200 million to um, uh, mislead voters about that bill. Unions spent a fortune for them. They spent $19 million, but they were outspent 10 to 1. So now that these giant multinational corporations understand that formula, uh, they are going to be overturning laws. And in fact, um, I'm sure many of you were involved in the setback law, the legislation legislation saying that uh, wells and drilling had to be 3,200 feet from homes, schools and hospitals. And that is going to be on the 2026 ballot. To turn that law, so that's going to be oil and gas industries, all of which are well, maybe a a couple are not foreign influenced. But um, as Justin mentioned, we expect that ninety-eight percent of the S and P 500 U.S. corporations will qualify as foreign influenced when this law is passed. And you can just sort of add that up in your head and see what a seismic change that will be in in California elections. Well, I think if you
0: really want to win this, you should call it the ban. Pablo Escobar bill. That would <laughs> that would really uh, uh, nail it, I think. So, and this wouldn't um,
3: just apply to uh, the S&P corporations. This would apply to a lot of the PACs and the nonprofits as well. And so, for example, APAC has come up a lot recently. And if you look at their board, they are not just domestics, they are foreigners as well. And uh, so the law specifically says that a uh, foreign influence business entity includes one or more foreign principals participating in any way, directly or indirectly, in the business entity's decision-making process with respect to contributions or expenditures of funds in connection with a ballot measure or election. So, well, I think, I think that, that would,
0: mean, I think that would ban the Republican Party, right? I mean, um, um, all that Russian money coming in. Um, right. Well, it's very interesting. Very good. I wish you could tack uh, onto this a repeal of. Um, uh, 846, which uh, allows Diablo Canyon to continue to operate. If you could do a tandem uh, piece of legislation, that'd be wonderful. But I know it's a stretch. So, I,
4: um... But Justin's right that this does prohibit uh, um, all of these foreign-influenced companies, not only from campaigns and candidates, but from donating to political parties, PACs, super PACs, and uh, ballot measures. So it's quite sweeping. And okay. the Diablo Canyon issue... Um, will be changed when this law goes into effect.
3: No more okay, of those great.
4: ads. Different for players. Questions. Yes, at Justin's also great point. For example, Coke Industries, whom we all know are horrific players in all of this. They're a closely held company that is not publicly traded. So they will not be affected by this law, but all of their nonprofits will be. Americans for Prosperity, Moms for Liberty, you know, all of those kinds of groups um who are such uh disruptive divisive and anti-democratic players.
0: Well this is right up our alley for a pro democracy uh zoom call. So um very important put all the please put all the particulars in the greet in the uh in the in the chat and Michelle I hope you keep oh uh, you'll come back next week and update us with Justin. Uh thank you for bringing that up. It's really important stuff. And uh, I'm not kidding about the 846 the Diablo bill. That's got to be nailed, and uh, we've got to get back into the legislature on that one as soon as possible. We have 49 people. Lynn, you found your person here?
2: Yeah, I think she's on. Uh, Is Leona Morgan here with us?
0: Leona Morgan, paging Leona Morgan. Are you with us? Uh, You want to talk to us about a uranium mining issue? Uh, Yes,
2: I'd like to introduce her, but I I need to know that she's going to be able to talk.
0: She's the co-host now, yes, so go ahead. Uh, Leona, um, are you will speak up.
2: Can yes, I'm here.
0: Where are yes. you? I can't see you.
2: Um, I just want to say a few introductory well, things. <laughs> Leona is a youth activist with um Hall No, uh, which has been fighting the Pinion Plain uranium mine that's actually on a part of the Grand Canyon. Well, let and me spell you-
0: that. It, it was it's H A U L N O Hall No. Yeah, with okay. a big Great
2: exclamation point after it uh she's also a graduate student at university of uh, new mexico in albuquerque and so take it away leona
0: please
5: uh yeah i i'm an organizer with hall no i'm in in my 40s i don't think i'm a youth anymore but sure <laughs> why not um,
0: on this call you're a youth yes um, Go ahead.
5: so yeah i think to compared to some folks i'm a still a baby here um so the mine I'm going to talk about, it's it's south of the Grand Canyon. Um, I'm in this group called Hall No, which is focused on transport of uranium through Navajo Nation, which is 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 where my people are from. So I'm Diné, and the concern, I mean, is the transport shore, but the transport is secondary. Really, it's the mine. So the mine is at the Grand Canyon and it's very close to a sacred site called Red Butte. Um, there's a lot of things about Red Butte and and even the Grand Canyon and the water, uh, cultural um, relationships, that kind of thing. But then also, you know, it's just contamination to water in the desert um, during climate change. Not good. Uh, the big news is that Biden signed a national monument in August. So on August 8th, they made this national monument to stop uranium mining. It's it's about a million acres almost, and it stops uranium mining forever. Um, and this is based on an Obama uh, mineral withdrawal uh, that was put into place in 2012. And in that mineral withdrawal, this there was some mines grandfathered in. So we count... About eleven mines that have valid existing rights can go forward, even though there's this new national monument. So, anyways, there's about half of those maybe can start. Half of them are done; they they need to be cleaned up. Um, so, right now, we're really looking at we're really looking at one. I mean, it's possible two more or you know a couple more can start up because of these valid existing rights. So so, yeah, people didn't really mention it um, when they were celebrating the National Monument. So now that the price of uranium is over one hundred dollars a pound, um, now that Biden is, you know, committed to tripling nuclear power by 2050. I mean, they say nuclear energy, but we know there's a lot of connection to nuclear weapons. So, yeah, this is what I'm here to announce Um there was a sign-on letter that was going around that got cut off today. Um, there's going to be other other things we want folks to do, but I think right now um, the big the big news is just that the mining started on January 8th. So our group has been watching this for years, and and we've been documenting and taking pictures, monitoring the the, the construction of the mine, and so. We've been trying to sound the alarm. We did an event on December 13th. You know, I reached out to my tribal leadership. You know, it's it's been very difficult to get people to pay attention um, before the mine started. Now the mine has started. Everybody wants to donate and volunteer and try to help out. But but that's kind of where we're at is it's, it's taking out uranium, what they call low-grade ore, so this is not commercially viable. So once they get to what they call high grade ore, then they can start transporting it to the uranium mill. So the company we're fighting is called Energy Fuels. It's a Canadian company. Um, they own the mill. So this is the only operating mill in the country. And uh yeah, we don't want them to transport it. That's why we say haul no. But really, we want to stop the transport before it starts so there's a lot of things that we th- we think there's some things that can be done i mean the tribe fought it in court they made this national monument you know there's all this opposition the tribe our tribe has a law against transport and uranium mining of course so there's all these things that were put into place but um yeah not a lot of options so if the governor of arizona can change the mining permit from operating to closed. That's <laughs> that's what we're we're banking on is getting the governor to do something and then Biden. Um so yeah so that's where how, all of you how, come close in.
0: you how close is this to the actual Grand Canyon?
5: I think like 20 miles, less than 20 miles south from the South Rim. I gotta check out the stats. I live in Albuquerque. So I've been working on this for seven years, but the crew the crew is based in Flagstaff, and um, our our one of our lead organizers we just lost. So so now, right after that happened, the mining company started. So we're kind of in a in a bad. <laughs> it was really bad timing, I guess you can say. Right.
0: Well, it sounds like a <clears throat> what we used to call a mobile Chernobyl situation. And um uh, if you'll put the contacts in the chat, this is bad. I remember. I mean the discussion of mining uranium near the Grand Canyon has been going on for a long, long time. And um, you know, th- but this is a nightmare. Um and uh you Let know, me ask a means,
2: question. Um, uh, may uh, I ask uh, a question to Leona? Yes, um, Lynn
0: and Mila.
2: Thank you. Ahead. Um thanks, Harvey. Um Leona, I what I'm given to understand is that um Clevanale was perfectly healthy. Um activist, and then suddenly turned up dead. Um, and he was very involved in this movement and in Hall Know. Is there any kind of uh, connection that you would uh, venture to guess regarding the controversiality of his activism? Um, is there any? I'm just wondering why he suddenly died. He was a very powerful um, Navajo Dine activist.
5: Um, well, Klee was a co-founder. So our group started uh in 2016. There was three of us. So this was Sarana Riggs, myself and Clee. Um yeah, so I'm I'm here to talk about the the issue and the mine. Um I think I think his his transition has been very well documented. Um, but but yeah, that's he he got sick and you know we're really sad about that. Um but at the same time, we have to keep on fighting. So that's where we're at.
0: Uh, Myla Reeson? Uh, thank you, Lynn. Did you, is there more you want to say, Lynn? No. Okay, Myla.
2: Lynn was, I just, was just muted. Go ahead, Lynn. Sorry, um, I just had another question. What did uh, has there been any follow up on his death? Was it about uh, any kind of radioactive, uh, uh, any kind of effect of radioactivity?
6: And did now you you you're that? muted, Leona. You're muted. Mm-hmm.
5: Oh yeah, I'm here to talk about the 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 issue of the mine. I think um, I want to just repeat, you know. Okay. We did okay. lose Clee. It's um, it's very unfortunate, but I don't think <laughs> I'm here to talk about this thing and seeing how okay. people can fight it. Sure.
0: Thank sure. you, thank you, Lynn. Uh, Lynn. If there's more you want to ask, please do, uh, my, my reason.
6: Um First, Lynn, thank you so much for bringing Leona here, and Leona, thank you for being here. Um, I, I lived in New Mexico for about 13 years, and eleven of those years I worked. Uh this is distracting whoever put who's putting the screen share up. Um, so let's uh okay, so here's where the mine is. Um at any rate, let me let me just <clears throat> excuse me. Let me just tell you, uh Leona, I worked in I lived in New Mexico and I was a community organizer for um Uh, Citizens for Alternatives to Radioactive Dumping and um, uh, Concerned Citizens for Nuclear Safety fighting the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant, which was the dump, is the dump, for plutonium-contaminated nuclear weapons waste near the Carlsbad National Caverns in New Mexico. And and I remember um, I was going to ask, and then you answered it for me, uh, whether it was a Canadian interest, because I remember years ago that we were fighting a Canadian company that planned to, uh, uh, mine uranium near the Grand Canyon. So, uh, it's, it's interesting to me that it is a Canadian, um, Canadian company. And, um, and I'm really hoping that you will, uh, continue to, uh, update us and come to our calls and, um, and let us know how this, um, this uh, your project is progressing, and um, let's work together and and shut down this uh, uranium mine. It's outrageous.
0: It is outrageous. So so please, uh, especially since nuclear power is dying. Uh, you know there are no new. Uh, there's one atomic reactor left in the pipeline in the United States. The big one at Vogtle in Georgia, and uh, there are zero large new nuclear power plants under construction in the United States, or even on order. And uh, the the small reactors uh, are not going to be with us for another decade, if ever. <clears throat> and <clears throat> the idea of uranium mining was insane, and so uh, especially so close to the Grand Canyon. So, uh, thank you so much for that report, uh, uh, Lynn. Thank you for um, uh, opening us up to this. And I hope uh, we'll continue to to follow this saga. Okay, is there more? Okay, we have uh, Vinny De Stefano <clears throat> um, who is working on Assange, and then we're going to have uh uh, Wendy Lederman, uh, give us the report. Well, Wendy's in deep mourning uh, on the, the clear fact that uh, the governor of Florida is probably not going to be president of the United States. I know you're Aww. deeply sorry about that, Wendy, but uh, let's go to uh, Julian Assange and Vinny DiStefano. Vinny, uh you want to go? Hello there, folks, and thank
7: there's you very much about. so very much for having me, Harvey. Uh, there's a great deal to talk about with Assange. The most important thing right now is on February 20th, uh, to the 22nd, his final appeal will be heard in London. During that appeal, Assange Defense will be putting together a 24-hour webcast, which would be a combination of journalists, talking heads, pundits, musicians, comedians, to raise awareness of this case, and obviously to help uh, raise much needed funds for the effort, because we're just about stone-ass broke. Excuse my language, by the way. Uh, more importantly, there is a measure, H.R. 934, put forward by Paul Gosar.
0: Yes, that. No, guy. this is a guy whose who's own. His family thing. hates <laughs> him. Even
7: his family hates him. But you know what? Even a stop clock can tell the correct time perfectly twice a day. I and never
0: thought he, that was true of him, but that's another story. Well,
7: it turns <laughs> out it is because he's put together an epic um, resolution. H.R. 934, which is called the Protection of Journalism Act, which is literally what this case is all about, regardless of what you think about Julian, whether you like him or you hate him, it's not in the end about him. It's about the right to a free press, because if he is convicted, take it to the bank. It's not my words. It's the Obama administration, what they call the New York Times problem. Any journalist, any journal could be charged by any government anywhere in the world not for printing lies, not for causing harm, but simply printing the truth that they find disagreeable, which is certainly the case with Julian Assange. And so we are asking people to please reach out to your elected officials, tell them, sign on board this. When they took their oath of office, they swore not to defend the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, or the president at any particular time but to defend the Constitution against both enemies, foreign and domestic. And this is the greatest assault on that First Amendment that we have faced in our lifetime, perhaps ever as a country, because, as I said, it could spell the end of journalism, as we know. It's certainly investigative journalism. And I'll mention briefly why that is the case. What the current case against Julian does is it criminalizes coming into contact with any classified documents in any manner whatsoever, even if I sneak it under your door or send it to you in an email, uh, and that criminalized you in the same way it criminalized a Julian. Uh, Ruth, I see your hand
0: up. What can I uh, tell you? Ruth Strauss, uh, Dr. Ruth, you want to uh, speak up here? Go ahead. You're going to have to unmute yeah, yourself. Or uh, speak uh, much I later. was having
1: trouble with being unmuted. Um, yeah. You know, I have a lot of, you know, gear, quote unquote, um, of Julian's T-shirts, sweatshirts, um, all sorts of things, including I just found in one of my pocketbooks a, a face mask that says "Free Julian Assange," and I went on. You know, I'm on the list for X, the date that you know he was going to uh, have uh, his trial or final appeal. Um, but i I couldn't find anywhere where there's gear and when I would wear like you know the sweatshirt to the supermarket, people would come up and say, "I like your you know sweatshirt or whatever. So is there any way to do that anymore? That's it
7: you know unfortunately, both the Assange defense and d e a websites were hacked, and they destroyed our ability to take and uh, sell wearables, and it is incredibly important. The person that's been doing that, the person that's flapping their gums right now, I actually had T-shirts printed up, and I was sending them out from my house. Now, Ruth, where are you based? She's in L.A. Oh, you're in L.A. Hey, maybe I can get those things from you, and we could uh, uh, get them out to people who need them, because wearables are incredibly important, including shipping them around the country. Um, Right.
0: So let me... um... Uh, let me interject here a historical thing. The um, the right to uh, uh, free journalistic speech actually <clears throat> was established in in America. I won't say the United States. It was prior to the United States <clears throat> in the uh, Zanger case uh, in the 1730s uh, and 40s in New York. And what happened was uh, the, a printer, uh, John Peter Zanger, who barely spoke English, <clears throat> uh, printed Uh, an attack on the governor, whose name was William Cosby, by the way, or Cosby. And um, the governor had him prosecuted. But the uh, judge in the case allowed a jury of his actual peers. In other words, the people of New York actually filled the jury box. And um, Zanger, who was pretty out of it, Uh, the, the whole situation was taken over by his wife. This is one of the first major instances where a female activist, made a huge difference uh, in this country. Her name was Anna, and she ran the paper, and she basically almost caused a riot in his defense. And it took the jury, they they accused him of um, sedition, actually, for printing um, stuff that was true about the governor. And um, uh, the governor wanted him put away. It went to the jury. The jury took 10 minutes to acquit him. And that is what really lodged in our uh, common law, the idea that truth is a defense. And if you, you know, if you print stuff that's false, you can be uh, charged with libel for obvious reasons. But if you print the truth, because of the Zanger case and because of a feminist, um, Julian Assange should have the right uh, to print whatever the hell he wants, and certainly to talk to uh, whoever he wants and to get access to to documents. So this this uh, right that he is um uh, uh pr- protecting uh is well over uh, 200 years old. Almost You know, Thomas old. Jefferson said, if I had to choose between a government
7: without a free press or a free press without a government, I would most distinctly choose the latter because he right. realized that without an informed and elected uh, public, you're not going to have a democracy. You're going to have autocracy.
0: Right. So uh, let's hope to God that uh, or whatever, whoever, whoever's in charge here that uh, Julian is finally let free. I mean, what's been done to him is just I mean, he's basically a hostage. It's terrible. 23
7: uh, hours a day of lockdown with one hour out. He hasn't seen the sun with the exception of being hauled out of the Ecuadorian embassy and sent up to prison in 11 years. Nor his family, his
0: son, his two sons, his wife, except in brief visits at the prison. It's amazing. Amazing. Does anyone else want to chime in on this? Uh, Since you mentioned solitary confinement and since we um, uh, cover a lot of ground in these calls, um, the mayor of New York, who's a Democrat, uh, has just uh, vetoed a bill that would ban solitary confinement. I mean, this is outrageous. His name is Adams, right? I can't can't remember the uh, mayor of New York's name and um i mean sol- solitary confinement is widely uh defined as torture there's no doubt about it and here this this mayor of new york vetoes a bill that um uh bans solitary confinement as outrageous and, and, and new yorkers in particular need to express their outrage over over this ridiculous uh situation so uh you've got events coming up uh of any, and um everything's in the chat i hope uh, but uh, do- yes, it will be. I'll get that in the chat later on. We
7: don't have a link for it yet, uh, but it's uh, February the 20th and it'll be a webinar that will be broadcast around the world. And uh, on top of that, I'll put one last ask out. If anybody knows any celebrities, journalists or people that might add their voice to this, please let me know. I will put my contact information in the uh, in the chat along with that. And you can have them reach out directly to me or you can reach out directly to me. I'm the easiest human being in the world to get old. (laughs) And thank you once again, Harvey. Hey, And by the way, if you haven't seen it, there's an incredible documentary with a lot of young people, one of them who looks (laughs) a great deal like Harvey, but it isn't him, about the uh, commune that he used to live on. I watched it. It was brilliant.
0: Well, anybody who wants to see this film, <laughs> it's back when I had teeth and knees. Um, uh, you can uh, email me and I'll send you the link. It's called Far Out. And it's a documentary film about my hippie farm. Um, it's two hours long. We're we're get, It's not out yet. It's basically a rough cut <laughs> that Vinnie saw. And the one thing that I tell people that really gets people to watch is that there are a number of naked hippies in this film. And so uh, I'm sure that will attract all of you. You're not one of them. No, I'm not. Well, they asked me to stay, please stay fully clothed. So I did. um, uh, But, you know, hasn't made it to Pornhub yet. But uh, uh, I'm sure we'll get a big audience here. So email me directly and I'll send you the link to this film. Uh, It's called Far Out. Uh, uh, Wendy, did you want to say something? Thank you.
8: um, Oh, thank you. Oh, you can hear me. Um, I just wanted to make a quick point, and I want to thank Vinny so much for his just vital work and the great work that you're doing. And before you go, please um say the name of that bill that people should be con- contacting the representatives with again, please. H.R.
7: 934. Steve was good enough to put it in the chat so it's right in there. Now, there are two of them. One is an agricultural bill that's an older bill. If you put HR934GOSAR, yes, that guy, it will (laughs) bring you up and it will show you the eight co-sponsors we have. We need to get everyone on board that.
0: It's an astounding lesson. I I can't resist. This guy, Gosar, is is just an abomination. And then all of a sudden he turns up on our side on Assange. It's it's mind-boggling. It's really amazing. Uh, But go ahead, please.
8: Thank you so much. And Tucker Carlson even just went to go visit him. I mean, this is just such a nonpartisan issue. I mean, it's like something that's so fu- fundamental to any of us functioning. Anyone with integrity. Um, I did want to just bring up a quick point that this is already happening. Where be- I think because of the precedent of Assange, just the way that he's being treated now, um, there's a newspaper in I think Kansas City, um, in the state of Kansas, I believe, where um, the police had raided a local newspaper and took all of their um, computers and all of their source information. And um, the woman who owned it, like the main publisher, it was her and her son. She, um, she was in her nineties and they went to her home and like raided her home and like Gilder. all this. Mess. Yeah. It's it. I, I'll have to find it and find a link and put it in the chat. Um, But she died the next day from a oh. heart failure. And, oh. um, and it, still an ongoing thing it's like this whole thing because like the police were under investigation for something by the newspaper so they just went in and raided them and took all their stuff and so this is like already starting to happen on local levels and we can just see it continuing and i mean in other places too i mean this is a global issue so um we just we really 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 for the sake of democracy and the sake of freedom need to get on this thank you so much Vinny. thank you all
0: yeah thanks Vinny, and thank you wendy Um, uh, We have 50 people with us. I do want to welcome John Steiner and Camilla. Camilla Reese has been having some health struggles. Camilla, we hope you're really well. Uh, They've been working with us on fundraising. I will say that 14 of you kindly responded to our last uh, fund um, ask and uh, came in with somewhere between $700 and $800. We do appreciate that. So thank you very much uh, for your donations. Uh, Alex, did you want to say something? Alex Dubrovsky? Unmute you, you here. and then we're going to move uh, back to Wendy. Go ahead, Alex. How does the committee
9: work for me to be on the committee?
0: Uh, why, why don't you contact Vinny? Vinny's got his um, uh, um, contacts in the in the chat. There, every all hands on deck. We really need to uh, get Julian free. It would be a huge deal to get Julian Assange free, and um, you know it's getting down to it. I mean, he's going to have to fish or cut bait, uh, uh, Biden. And I cannot imagine him bringing. Uh, Benny, uh, 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 Julian to the United States, it would be astounding. So, you
7: know, they the Biden administration, quite frankly, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if they did anything because there seems to be no rhyme or reason to the things they're doing. I mean, his statement on well, the bombing of the Hussies are not uh, working, but we're going to continue doing that. Just last time I checked was the definition of insanity.
0: Yeah, well, you know, there are many definitions and um um uh this is this is certainly one of them. Thank you, Alex. So, uh, and thank you for that, Vinny. We want to move uh to Cop City. Um uh th- this horrendous situation in uh, in Atlanta, um uh it's now a year since the young man uh, Tortugueto was was murdered by the police there and the 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 government the the um, city government is refusing to allow a uh a referendum on this piece of land that they want to destroy and and build a police training center uh, can you talk to us a bit about that wendy uh and give us an update on cop city
8: sure thank you um so and i kind of had a, a little bit of a um slightly different angle to approach it with today. Um, it was a year this week since Tortuguita was murdered. Um, we've been reporting on it since it happened last January. Tortuguita, um Manuel perez Turan, was, was a um, 26-year-old uh, forest offender, peace activist, um, who actually, it turns out he had worked in Tallahassee, did a lot of work with Food Not Bombs and a lot of other um different organizations uh venezuelan kid but here for a while um and so they'd been they'd set up an encampment in um the wilani forest where they're trying to build this 90 million dollar police training camp where the police will be trained by israeli military forces um and so uh they were sitting there and tortugita was um they found out later after an independent autopsy that he had been sitting inside a tent in a meditation style position with his hands up and the cops shot him 57 times and um he didn't even have any bullet residue on his hands or anything and there's no investigation um body cam footage was leaked that showed that it was um a cop a trooper they said that they that he had shot a trooper and so they shot him but it turns out the trooper was shot by friendly fire and so flash forward there's um there's this whole push that continued push that now has hundred, literally hundreds of thousands of people trying to stop this police training force that won't only destroy the own, like this, the largest green space that really mitigates flooding and climate in Atlanta that's um, will affect primarily black communities and increase on police training to subdue urban uprisings. Basically what is what this is all about. It's a model city. So, um, The people have come together with 160,000 signatures for this petition and to put it as a a referendum so that at least people can approve it and vote on it. And the Democratic leadership um, just won't allow it. They keep making backroom deals and um, and subverting the vote and the will of the people and keep taking private corporation money from like Home Depot and Coca-Cola and all these other corporations. So. And and they're trying to use this as a model for other places, and it's it really does come down to the angle that I I was looking at today. Um, is is really about and it ties in with Assange. It ties in with um any environmentalist or any any person, any citizen standing up for their rights. So, Cop City. Um, because this was also the first environmental activist killed on American soil. But right now, um, just to wrap up, Cop City. They, they stand in solidarity with, with Palestine and the liberation movement in Gaza because they they see similarities. And a similarity I want to draw on to report right now is that at Columbia University, there were some, say, pro-Palestinian activists rallying peacefully and some um, former, I think they're former Israeli military, if they're not current military, um, wore kefias, the liberation scarf, into the crowd to blend in and started spraying students with something called skunk, which is an Israeli chemical that is used to disperse crowds, but it causes vomiting, nausea, sickness. The more you try to wash it off, the more it burns. Um, And they were, students were sprayed by this, by an infiltrated Israeli um, forces and Columbia is not doing anything. Nobody's doing anything. And this is just an attack on, People trying to peacefully protest, people trying to express their First Amendment rights, just like Tortugita did, who I think represents so much more than just this forest and, and just this one police training camp that really represents the turning of the tide of author- authoritarianism and the end of democracy in all different forms. It's like a death of a thousand cuts or a death by 57 bullets like Tortu Vita took for us. So thank you, Artie. Hey. Thanks for the
0: Okay, thank you for that, um, uh, Wendy. I, I want to go briefly, uh, Steve Caruso. Um, <clears throat> we need an update from Ohio. Uh, there's a confusing situation there, but a very important one, uh, uh, surrounding the uh, the trans issue. Uh, can you tell us what's going on with the governor and the legislature, the latest? I mean, it's really arcane. Yeah, it's twisted pretzel,
9: no doubt, is what they like to do, people's rights. Um Right now, people are getting treatment at local clinics. They're, you know, carrying on their normal lives. They want to have state wants to introduce psychiatrists, which has always been a bad thing because it upends people's feelings. This, this is order, This is
0: a state a state restriction on getting medical treatment connected with a, a, a trans uh, people. Right now, so the right. governor has intervened and in the state legislature. The state legislature, as I understand it, passed a bill entirely banning trans treatment in the state. The governor intervened. uh, He's a Republican, a conservative Republican at that, but uh, Mike DeWine, and he he, uh, he vetoed the bill and set out a whole list of restrictions by executive order on getting trans treatment. Now the legislature is halfway through overriding his veto. Is that correct, uh, Steve? Sometime this week,
9: they were supposed to vote on it. Could have happened today. I'm not sure. But uh, the, he, line also put out an executive order delineating, so making it even worse. So anybody that gets treatment would have to sign up with the state. You have to list your procedures. You have to have an endocrinologist, a psychiatrist, and uh, maybe a doctor. I don't know. But there's not enough endocrinologists in the state to cover everybody that's currently getting treated. Treated. So, and with the new rules, the other businesses that are are going to have to start complying with new orders if they come through, and it it's it's just a lot of wasted energy on just uh, the obfuscation of reality by the Republicans who need to find something better to do with their time. Obviously, <laughs> they just
10: well, we're don't. Also,
0: you're also in the process in Ohio. There are signatures being gathered to put on the ballot in 24, yet another attempt to ban gerrymandering. I mean, Ohio has, um, and Paul Newman is shaking his head as a fellow former Ohioan, um, that's A-H-I-A, oh, you weren't, at, you, your family's from Ohio. But anyway, um, uh, uh, the, the, the there have been two state referenda in Ohio already. The passed with overwhelming majorities, including one at 75 percent, banning gerrymandering. There have been five, count them, five decisions from the Republican state uh, Supreme Court banning gerrymandering. And the, the, this, the Republican legislature has ignored all of them. And we now have a legislature in Ohio, which is about fifty four forty six Republican to Democrat at this point in time, where you have both houses of the legislature with supermajority right-wing Republicans. And so there is now another attempt in Ohio to pass a referendum. We just had two referenda in Ohio, one legalizing pot and the, and the other um uh, legalizing abortion or protecting the right to an abortion. Now a referendum is circulating yet again to get rid of gerrymandering. Uh, Steve, can you tell us what's going on with that? Well,
9: they... They're trying to get signatures, and I think they've got it accepted, but it's still kind of up in the air. I mean, they've got a little time. It's not going to be on the ballot in the fall, I don't think. I'm really not up to snuff on this okay right now.
0: Well, it's, it's, people are trying. We had Rachel Coyle on, and Ohio may or may not have a, a referendum on the, on gerrymandering again, but God help us. If it, if we really need it for sure. That's It's a very, very big deal. So um uh let's let's hope that goes through. And one other thing we want to cover before the uh, hour is up is the Chevron decision. It's ironic uh, beyond belief actually that uh that Chevron is the name uh, on this uh, court case given what Chevron did to uh, Steve Donziger and is still doing to Steve Donziger who's been a guest on our on on the show but um uh the Chevron decision as I understand it essentially, and we should probably have an expert to talk about this next week. Uh, Actually, probably Keith Ellison. Next week, by the way, we will have the Attorney General of Minnesota, uh, Keith Ellison, former congressman, uh, who's going to talk to us. Again, he's visited us before. He's really great, and uh, he'll have a lot to say. And I'm sure he'll have a lot to say about—he is a uh, lawyer—about the Chevron decision. Uh, But the Chevron precedent, which the Supreme Court most people think is about to throw out, essentially allows the federal government to regulate um, uh, certain industries or any industry and without the Chevron precedent which is uh, you know has been with us for decades um, uh, all the regulatory agencies essentially could be exterminated as best I can tell and um, the they've had a hearing and the observers of the hearing, Seem to think that the key justices, well, justices, really a uh, judge, I mean, these guys, these, there's nothing justice about these uh, six right wingers, um, um, uh, are inclined to overturn the Chevron precedent, just as they overturned Roe v. Wade, uh, despite uh, 50 years of precedent. And if they overturn the Chevron precedent, we are really, uh, essentially, uh, screwed. I think that, that's allowed. That, that's not a four-letter word, right? I think it's around seven. But the bottom line is that um, the entire regulatory structure of the United States of America may, in, in within the next month or two, be obliterated. I, I mean, it, it's monumental. It's beyond any calculation that, that any of us can really comprehend here. You're talking about the, the essential gutting of the EPA, the FCC, you know, um, financial rate, all regulation uh, uh, could be essentially done away with by with a six to three decision on the Supreme Court, or even five to four if if Roberts decides to, you know, play it close to the chest. This is staggering. So, um, uh, you know, we will have to take a close look at this. As I say, Keith Ellison will be with us next week. He he is the guy who prosecuted the um the cop uh uh that killed George Floyd and he is now the attorney general again he was reelected as attorney general of the state of Minnesota so th- people need to study up on this and and uh, but we need to be very very aware that this is on on the brink here sandy bozenius uh, uh, do you want to comment
11: yeah i just have a question or maybe i'm just astounded to be asking about this but i don't understand why the court would even consider this case? I'm hoping you're right that they they'll pass on it or get it rid of it. But um, but this hurts everyone to not have any regulations for anything. That hurts these these very wealthy people too. I, it's just unbelievable that they would even consider it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I know these. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is,
0: these are the times we're living in. Uh, but this is and uh, ac- actually on the on target to that. I watched a movie last night uh, called "Civil Action." It's an old movie; I, I think twenty, thirty years old, with John Travolta. Where he doesn't dance; he plays a lawyer. It's a true story. The water in uh, Woburn, Massachusetts, was uh, uh, badly polluted to the extent that there was a, a, a um, epidemic of leukemia among children. And the case was taken up by a, a, a lawyer in, uh, in uh, played by John Travolta who was really good. I think he actually got an Academy Award for this. Um, But but the film did win at least one Academy Award. It's called Civil Action. And I I am going to, spoiler alert alert here, the bottom line is he screws up the court case. and, and, And he winds up, this hotshot lawyer in Boston, and he winds up sending the boxes to the EPA, which back then was a functioning aggressive agency. And the EPA came around and actually got justice for the people of Woburn, which the court system did not. And um, it just right on target just struck me that um, uh, we could be losing the entire environmental regulatory structure in the United States with this court decision. It, it, it's like it's like, you know, for people who have been involved with the, the environmental actually breathe air and drink water. This is apocalyptic. I mean, this is just uh, almost incomprehensible. So. So we will talk about it next week. You may want to study up. Uh, again, I want to remind you we're joined by Anna Georgie, my buddy from Western Massachusetts, where she is in the film that Vinnie uh, cited, the um, the far out film about about uh, about the, our farms in Western Massachusetts. So again, uh, uh, hi Anna, good to see you. And um, uh, we will be writing about that. And and I do want you to bring on um, all the folks from the farm in February. If we can do that with Sam and Chuck and Dan, it'd be a great thing to talk about what happened at our farms uh, where the no nukes movement was born in the 1970s. We'll look at that in February. Anyway, um, uh,
6: I just jump in quickly to say something about the the Chevron deference doctrine uh, that is now being decided by the Supreme Court that could dismantle not just environmental regulation, but the administrative state and that i mean that is um the um the dream of bannon and others uh to you know to get rid of government regulation altogether just extending way beyond the environmental regulation uh, unfortunately you know our our regulatory system is imperfect and often captured by industry The 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 uh, case that's now being decided, uh, the NRDC, the National Defense um, Resource Council, versus Chevron, um, is is what's what the court is thinking about right now. But um, the EPA has not always decided rightly. And back in 1999, I was part of a um, a lawsuit suing the environmental uh protection agency because they uh unfortunately uh made a very bad decision and they didn't uh they were uh because they were a captured agency at that time captured by the Department of Energy which is the Department of Nuclear Bombs uh, because they wanted to dump plutonium in uh, near the Carlsbad National Caverns in, in southern New Mexico and the EPA decided uh, wrongly on that and we sued the EPA so there, it's imperfect it's an imperfect system but we've got to hang on to it nonetheless and um and so I, I just wanted to weigh in there.
0: right, and the the fault of the EPA was that they did not properly use their regulatory power. if they had if they had, didn't have the power at all, there would there would have been no basis to sue them in the first place uh, and so and you know, I think it's important we understand when Trump hmm. has been talking about the deep state that he wants to get rid of. What he's talking about is precisely this, the idea that uh, the state could regulate anything, including preserving the environment. He's also gone further. It, he He's against, and it's important we understand this, in, 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 in light of the, the Chevron situation, because this could come next. Trump wants to get rid of the civil service. He does not want, and Steve Bannon and all these guys, they do not want a civil service that has to meet... Um, um, objective standards of competence. This, was, this is a product of the 1880s. Ironically, it came from a president, Chester A. Arthur, who was a vice president to James Garfield. And when Garfield was murdered, Chester Arthur was viewed as a completely corrupt, accidental president. And he went in there and he became a great um, um, champion of civil service, which means when you apply for a government job, you have to be able to demonstrate some kind of, kind of competence and you have to be, the job is a job. With Trump and with Bannon, the deep state that they want to abolish means that they can personally appoint everybody in the government uh, for political reasons, not for any sort of public service competence, but for the fact that they're loyal to Trump and Bannon. And so if Chevron goes, if this Chevron president is gone, they will then turn around and come after the civil service. And, And it's six to three again. You're going to hear Clarence Thomas say, well, uh, you know, I think that the president should have the right to appoint the people who work in the government. And yeah. then we're just, you yeah. know, we are we are not even third world anymore. You and know, it will be a step up for us. And uh,
6: specifically, Harvey, this Chevron deference doctrine is that the uh, the courts are in no position to? Uh, they have to defer. That's why it's called the deference doctrine because they're they're obligated. Uh, to defer to the experts in the various agent regulatory agencies and instead of because the courts don't have the expertise so um so that's what the uh what the what the case before the Supreme Court is all about it's the it's getting rid of so that some judge appointed by trump or the the Federalist society can overrule scientific deliberation and determination that's been made by a regulatory agency. That's what's stake here.
12: That's exactly right, Myla. And Slug, if I can remind you, people are asking about the Medicare for All discussion. Yes, so hopefully we we're about to, to that. do
0: that. It's 3.04. It's time to go to Medicare. Although I I want to I defer quickly, Mary, and then Tatanka, and then Ruth, and then we'll go to Medicare for All. Is there, We have Joel Siegel with, with us. Is Dr. Bronstein with us, uh, Dr. Bronson? who, who uh, was uh, brought to us to discuss this. Is he with us? Okay, well, let's hope he shows up. Uh, Joel, go ahead. I'm sorry, Mary Mary Butler and then Tataka.
13: Um, when it comes to the EPA, um, I've been complaining about them for years. And to tell you how bad they're bought out is to say that I am the only living person that was witness to something. And I was driven out of the county in Idaho due to the fact of me being one of the witnesses and all other witnesses were told to leave County or they would die. And they all, they were all murdered. Um, And that's when the EPA went to Kootenai County medical facility in the middle of the night and two o'clock in the morning and seized all the medical records of all the citizens in the location and burnt all the records and buried them. And it was an EPA vehicle that showed up at the doctor's office that loaded all these medical files that drove him out into a remote location, put him in a pit, burned him, and buried him. One doctor stood against uh, this organization, and he was disbarred. And they said that he was over-medicating his patients and everything. No, this gentleman was an internal medicine doctor. Any medications that the patients were getting at the time, they had already been receiving from other doctors. He was actually reducing their medication, not increasing it.
12: Mary? that Mary, that sounds no, super hold it. on, hold on. Mary, I got a quick question. That sounds yes. super serious. Could you provide us with a link to substantiate that so we can actually do something about it? Because that, I, that's I, something that I, needs to to be answered, I think.
13: I I cannot. I'm 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 the only living my 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 the oldest my my, my, my middle daughter's dad was murdered over all of this and it was all about the cordaline gold mines and the pollution. From the two mining companies that are in that location, um, it all started with, uh, I guess, um, from what my understanding was, is my young, my middle daughter Rickana, or my youngest daughter Ricanna's grandfather was supposed to be inheriting the Coeur d'Alene gold mine. Whatever, he disappeared. Um, he was supposed to be going in on a Monday to court. He disappeared. He showed up dead three days later. The son, who is Ricanna's father asked for an autopsy to be done his body disappeared it reappeared
12: what can we this is horrible is there anything we can do to help
13: i have no idea i just know that i can we circle back and and work out something that
12: we can do about this because hearing about it is traumatizing to everybody and we all sympathize with the trauma that you suffered this is horrible i'm just
13: saying the epa can't be trusted if they will go in cahoots with the mining companies to do such a thing you know
0: Point taken, thank you. There are uh, tons of stories, and, and Mary, we really appreciate that, and we certainly, as Mike says, empathize with your uh, with your ordeal. So thank you for that. Uh, Tatanka Bricka, and then Ruth Strauss. Barbie, have we actually ever uh, – can you hear me?
12: Yes, yep. we can. Yeah.
14: Oh, thank yes, you. We can. Have we ever had a report on Project 20-
0: 25 yet? I'm sorry. What's? Can you tell us what that is?
14: Oh, that's the that's the Republican laid out plan for their plans for us when the fascist dictatorship takes over. That's what you're talking about. Well, yeah. Steve Miller no, yeah, and I Bannon and all those guys. It's an actual report. So I think we should do something on, on the show about that.
0: Okay, absolutely. And if someone can contact Eileen Proctor, um, uh, we don't have her guest with us and uh, we want to get him on. We can certainly, D- Dr. Nancy, uh, you could actually we would certainly welcome your presentation um uh, uh, in uh, on single payer uh but yes uh, project 25 which is of course a um a grandchild uh an evil grandchild of the um the Houston report which Richard Nixon did in 1972 to try and um uh cancel or see about the possibility of canceling the uh the 1972 election so um uh, yes that's a great idea I mean the 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 assault on on the Chevron doctrine and the continual assault on the so called deep state. They're talking about dismantling our government as we know it, um in in, in, in from top to bottom, no doubt about it. So um uh, let's uh thank you for that, Tatanka. Let's proceed. Um we're gonna as Mike says we have promised a discussion on single payer. Uh we were waiting for a Dr. Bronson. I don't see him. Uh as I said, if anyone wants to contact. Eileen Proctor, please do. Ruth Strauss, go ahead, please. Ruth.
1: Yeah, um, I always like to quote uh, uh, Lily Tomlin's character in search of intelligent life in the universe. And that quote is no matter how cynical I get, I just can't keep up. Um, but anyway, uh, what I, part of uh, this court case um, uh, that's going before the court about uh, the EPA, etc., uh, no matter what. Uh, is bad about the EPA, part of the court case is to hand the regulatory agencies over to Congress. So that is going to be a political football. At least, I mean, I'm, I'm not defending the EPA or any of these organizations, but still, they are civil servants. They are not the subject of Paul Gosar or Josh Hawley or, you know, anybody that's going to, these people are probably not equipped to make uh, decisions, Muffy and you know, Buffy in their you know cl- clerks and their offices are probably not competent to make the decisions. Uh, so it, it's really bad if something like that is handed over to Congress because it'll just get mired down like everything else. So thanks. Well, you. as we
0: say, as you hear from Mary Butler, there, there's there's plenty of um, grief involved with the EPA for God's sake. And if you want to talk about a regulatory agency. Uh, that doesn't regulate. Let's go right to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, for God's sakes, which we call no real chance. But uh, one of the pieces of government that we do treasure is the national health care system. Bad as it is, uh, my mother's mantra in her as she was um, you know, struggling with uh, all sorts of attacks, uh, medical attacks in her old age, is um, uh, thank God for Medicare. But uh, the rest of the system I can't vouch for. Dr. Nancy Naparco, we scheduled this segment uh, waiting for Dr. Bronson. We have with us two really great experts in, in national health care, which we have not discussed on these calls, all 160 of them, uh, is uh, is Joel Siegel, the godfather of the Affordable Care Act, and Nancy Naparco. Let's start with you, Nancy. Uh, you are a medical professional, um, and you've got a presentation that you've wanted to make on the, on the national healthcare system. And then we'll go to Joel Siegel to talk about the ACA and we'll see if our other guest turns up, but this is a great opportunity. Go ahead, Nancy, please. And I think you're unmuted, trying to unmute you. There you go. We can see. Yeah. You.
11: I'm not prepared with, I have my slides, but I'm not prepared to give it right now. Um, I just talked to Eileen Proctor and she said that uh, he was confused and um Maybe, Mike, can you send him a link, or I'm going to send the link right now. Okay. Joel, go ahead. I
0: just did. Okay. Let's start start with Joel Siegel. Uh, Joel, uh, you are one of our great heroes, um, and I'm sure you're recovering from uh, uh, 12 hours of football over the weekend, uh, uh, culminating in the uh, uh, god-awful mix of that uh, field goal for the poor Buffalo Bills. But at any rate, um, you are the godfather of the Affordable Care Act. And no one knows the miasma of um, uh, trying to get a single-payer national health care system in place in this country, which God knows we need. So uh, can you give us a rundown of uh, why we need a single-payer system and what have been the barriers to, to getting it in place?
15: Sure. Uh, good, good evening, everybody.
0: Um, the, main,
15: the main barriers to getting a single-payer system – has been the lack of um, funding for organizers, um, so they could actually lobby Congress, uh, you know, and actually, you know, build a movement that had enough kind of power to, you know, pass federal legislation. But one thing that got into the ACA was a provision which allows for, yeah, health insurance industry is the barrier, that's right, um, which allows for a waiver. So if states do want to go to single payer, they can do it. Uh, but they have to um, meet certain requirements, you know, from from HHS. Um, <clears throat> but there are states that, you know, want to go single payer. But I'd
0: say it's the yeah, the insurance industry is the biggest barrier.
12: Slug, are you muted? I am here. There you are.
0: Um, well, Joel, can you tell us uh, the uh, story um, uh, of how at least we got the ACA? Uh, you are you were with Representative Conyers, John Conyers. Right. Right. And um, he was uh, well, tell us tell us how the uh, Affordable Care Act actually came about, if you would, because uh, and we all need to know this and we all need to know from this knowledge how we can somehow get up to a national health care system.
15: Well, the single pay, the single payer movement um, was so powerful at the time that we were debating um, the Affordable Care Act, the single payer movement gave birth to the Affordable Care Act is basically what happened. Um, but we had more members of Congress that had signed on to HR 676, which at the time was Mr. Conyers' expanded and improved Medicare for All bill. <clears throat> um, but I think the compromise, which literally came from uh, Senator Kennedy uh, and, and Senator Waxman, was to do the Affordable Care Act, where the federal government would subsidize private insurance. That would that was you know so you could afford it, and then the other half was Medicaid. Um, but basically, the Medicaid expansion. Actually, Conyers wrote the first Medicaid expansion bill. Um, So it was it was really a combination of um, pressure from the grassroots who wanted single payer. The Congress didn't feel like they could pass it. So they they went ahead with the Affordable Care Act. is basically what happened.
0: And who wrote the Affordable Care Act and where did it come from?
15: It it came actually it came from Mitt Romney. (laughs) It came from the Massachusetts uh, had a, a plan, which was the model for the
0: ACA. And how would you characterize the, the performance of the ACA to date? I mean, how good has it been? Has it helped people uh, significantly? Yeah, I mean, there's
15: millions of people who otherwise wouldn't have gotten any care, you know, whatsoever.
0: Um, and there's
15: certain, you know, my sister's on the ACA and she's very, very happy with it. So I think it depends on who you talk to, but there's, you know, millions and millions of people who, who at least can go see a doctor who could see a doctor before, but it's not single payer. There's still co-pays. There's still out-of-pocket costs. You know, there's still, um, you know, there's still too much that's wrong with the ACA, but it's, you know, it's certainly better than before where, you know, if you had a pre-existing condition, you couldn't be seen. But, um, but clearly, you know, single payer is only, that's the, that's the way to go.
0: So by single payer, what do you mean?
15: Single payer means that the government pays your medical bills and single payer, uh, government actually would subsidize, you know, hospitals, uh, long-term healthcare centers by giving them what's called a global budget. Um, means there's one payer of your insurance, and that's the federal government. That's single payer. You don't. It's not. You don't have Aetna and Blue Cross. You have one payer.
0: So unlike
15: Dr. the Dr. British...
11: Bronston is here.
0: Yeah, I saw him. I see he's here. Uh, Dr. Bronston, uh, welcome. I'm glad to have you on. So, in in uh, the the difference here, though. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joel. In in England, the medical the government runs the medical system. In the United States, a single payer would mean that the government would pay people to get um, uh, treatment from private providers. Is that correct? Is that a Essential yeah, a- difference.
15: Yeah, I think Dr. Bronson could, is probably, I think, one of the most qualified to speak. But Dr. Bronson, do you want to help answer that question?
0: Well, hold on. Mike Hurst Mike had a hand, and then we'll go to Dr. Bronson. Mike, go ahead. Mike Hurst, did you want to speak?
12: Yeah, thanks. I'll be real, real quick. Um, I want to thank Joel for all of his leadership. Joel convened uh, some of the brightest, most thoughtful doctors, nurses, caregivers of every kind, public policy officials, from the United States and around the world, Canada, where they have a single payer system, um, Singapore, various other places. And Joel tirelessly organized countless town halls, hearings, briefings to teach the bill, uh, the, the single payer medical care for all bill. At that point, it was HR 676, which is one of the best bills ever written, in my opinion. And um, I can't thank Joel enough for his leadership and his patience and ability to work on that. And Joel is also one of a handful of people who not only um, helped enact the uh, Affordable Care Act, because it does contain um, single payer provisions through expanded Medicaid, which I myself have benefited from, as well as millions of other people. Um, But at two very key points, Joel intervened when, um, I think her name was Martha Coakley, lost her Senate uh, campaign to replace Ted Kennedy and Obama went from having 59 senators in the Democratic party in the Senate to only from having 60 to only 59 with Ted Kennedy's passing and Obama and other people decided that they were going to stop working for the Affordable Care Act even after all the investment and time and effort and Joel whispered to a friend of mine uh Representative Donna Edwards at that time and told her to call on everybody not to give up the fight. And if it wasn't for Joel being there, the Obama administration would have walked away from the fight. And at another point, um, Mr. Conyers was under a lot of pressure to vote no on the Affordable Care Act. And had he done so, 20 or more members of Congress who followed behind Mr. Conyers like ducklings would have also voted no. And they, they said to him, Mr. Conyers, how should we vote? And Mr. Conyers didn't know. And Joel talked to Mr. Conyers and said, there are people in our district, there are people around this country who will die if we don't pass this legislation. It's far from what we want. It's not perfect by any means. But Joel challenged the people who had private health insurance to cut up their insurance cards and mail them to him if they really were that against private insurance, which the ACA largely depends on. And they yelled at Joel. A lot of them swore at Joel. But Joel had the courage and the commitment. And he explained to Mr. Conyers that we needed the Affordable Care Act. We could come back and fight another day. And thanks to Joel intervening in those two instances, we have the Affordable Care Act. And millions, tens of millions of people who couldn't see a doctor
0: before that, now they can see a doctor, and that, and I'm among those tens of millions of people. So thank you, thank you for that, Mike. Thank you, Joel. We it's not often we have a genuine hero in our midst, and we really appreciate what you did. It's, it's an incredible situation. We do have a, a great guest with us, uh, Dr. Bronson. If you'll uh, wait one more for one, one more guy, he's a really good guy, and then we'll get, move to you, uh, Paul Newman in in L.A. Um, uh, what do you have for on on this topic?
16: Uh, well, I'm the, one of the board members on Healthcare for Us, and we're supporting a bill called CalCare, which basically um, supports everything. You don't. We're literally kicking the insurance industry out of California. Period. Because even the ACA is apartheid. Because if you're really poor, in order to qualify for Medicaid, you have to have a certain income, and a lot of people are getting kicked off. You don't get enough healthcare. Uh, so that's the problem with the ACA. And we're, we just don't want any insurance companies involved with California, period. It's getting worse and worse. All these equity uh, capital companies are buying hospitals and, and releasing a lot of the staff and having more people work on, you know, more doctors and so forth. And But anyway, if you want to go to um, learn more, you can go to hc4us.org. CalCare covers dental, mental, um, hearing uh optical everything everything's covered all you do is you go to the doctor uh this and any doctor you choose and the state pretty much funds the uh the medical bill so well, that's, that's a, all I have to say but go to HC for us it's the Google of healthcare for single wow. people
0: Paul thank you so much for that much appreciated sure. not only for what you said but your great work on this we really appreciate it and now we have uh, uh, the good doctor with us, uh, William Bronston, you uh, come highly, highly recommended for my Irene Proctor who's one of the great activists uh, for single payer. And um, um, uh, you can introduce yourself however you like. We have 50 people. We are live streaming um, and um, we will uh, be on PRN and in the archives. And we're really uh, this is our first major discussion uh, after uh, almost four years On on national health care. So, we're really happy to have you with us. And uh, please tell us uh, what you're about.
17: Harvey, it's really an honor. Thank you very much. So, let me just say that this is the central question that is going to impact our democracy. Whether or not we have universal, rightful, single payer health care or not is going to essentially determine whether we move to a totalitarian society or move towards a democratic society. And there's a spectrum of understanding of what single payer is all about. Joel and I worked for a year, a couple three years ago, with 40 peers from around the United States that we handpicked in order to establish the most ideal human service, publicly owned, uh, rightful single-payer health care in writing in the world today. And it is at the website called ourhealth.pub. It contains Uh, more than a dozen elements that do not exist in any single-payer legislation, either uh, Jamila uh, Prypals work or Bernie Sanders' work, or will show up in CalCare. They have to do with a paradigm shift in ownership of the healthcare system and to change the medical market system to a true healthcare system that would essentially transform society and all of our relationships. The elements in a true single payer system require a vast change in leadership of the healthcare delivery system to the public health system that has been marginalized and defunded since the Reagan administration. What we have now is an illness management system that has been totally driven towards private pay and it's hard for people to even imagine what the possibilities are of the transformation inherent in a true single-payer system. A single-payer system only describes one aspect of the delivery system. And that has to do with the fact that there would be one single trust fund in the state or at the nation where 100% of every health dollar would be in that trust fund. People would have a card. They essentially would go to any provider, anywhere, anytime, for anything, and essentially get treated and go home. The provider, the medical professional, the health professional would then bill the trust fund and get paid within 30 days. So that's the stupid, simple mechanics of what single payer is all about. But the reality of what single payer all about is changing American society and fundamentally ending all profit and all money transfer at the service level across the entire population. Medicaid is utterly, utterly evil and has to be ended. It has plowed $6 trillion into our economy in order to build an institutional culture such that 100% of us, everybody on this call, as we age, is going to develop a developmental disability. They're going to have cognitive or medical or physical or, or, or whatever problems that are going to require that they be serviced outside of their normal homes in an institution. So the whole nursing home industry, the whole support, the, the, the supported life industry, the hospice system, all of which are being privatized, essentially would be uh, replaced with what we call lifetime care instead of long-term care. That means individualized planning early on in every individual's life to deflect them from institutional terminus. The other piece of the puzzle is that we need to globally budget every health professional post-secondary system in America. What that would do essentially would provide us with a transformed, culturally competent workforce that essentially would exchange years of tuition coverage for years of community service assigned to a, a national or a California health core, where we would begin to build comprehensivity at the local level. The next major change is that neighborhood assemblies which are real entities, legal entities that exist in every county, would essentially build partnerships with their local, county, and state public health departments in order to plan the transformation of the system from this barbarity that we suffer now to a true healthcare delivery system. The work that Paul is doing with CNA is really crucial, and the CalCare system has yet to be put forward for the third time. This will be about the 10th time that California puts forward a single-payer model. I don't know what it's going to look like yet. I've met with the key writers of that and and the leaders of uh, the the author, uh, uh, Assemblyman Cal Ashra, in order to try and convince them that they need to expand their whole thinking about what a single-payer healthcare system is all about. If you look at the website, ourhealth.pub.public, You'll see, and you have to take your time. It's about 40 or 50 pages long, but there's lots of summaries in it. Especially at the end, there is a whole drop down screen where, where it says resources. Resources. Yeah, go to books. People want to spend time looking at what the true single payer healthcare system ought to be like. Look at any of those books. They're brilliant books, brilliant, written by radical organizers. Our healthcare system needs to be a socialist. System, period, end of sentence. It cannot allow profit dealing with illness and wellness in the mix. So these authors are spectacular. And I've selected them carefully with with short uh, introductions. But if people want to settle down and really look at what is written about a single payer system, that's where that goes to. The reason I talk about Medicare is that I worked at a place called Willowbrook State School for three years in the 70s. And I wrote a book called Public Hostage, Public Ransom, Ending Institutional America. All of us are public hostages in a system where public services like Medicare and Medicaid are essentially funding the private sector in order to provide us with illness services. We are in a desperately dangerous point in the system right now with close to 70 percent of all Medicaid dollars going to private-owned institutions that are being essentially organized and bought by the the financial equity system in America called ACO Reach. This last couple of months has been a devastating marketing campaign on all of our television systems to have people shift away from traditional Medicare, which is an 80-20 funding system. That means 80% comes from the feds, 20% has got to come from someplace else, you or secondary insurance or you and secondary insurance. And essentially what's happening now is that there is a campaign going to force people, to incite people, to to seduce people, to give up their public Medicare services for what they call ACO reach or Medicare advantage, which we call Medicare disadvantage. It is evil in the extreme. And, and and absolutely corrupt, because its objective is to draw people unknowingly into shifting from their traditional Medicare to a privatized Medicare system that they call Medicare Advantage, the private sector, the cartel system. Cartels, I refer to the pharmaceutical, hospital, and insurance cartels that essentially are laden with more than 40 to 1 administrator, middlemen, money takers, money that's deflected from direct services to people. And if you don't know that you're being shifted from true Medicare to this privatized Medicare disadvantaged system, which is not Medicare, but it's not advantage by all, all sense, getting back onto regular Medicare is very, very difficult. We have to end all out-of-pocket expenditures. We have more than 200% more money in our system, in America, than any other country on earth in terms of providing medical care. And fully one-third of the people in our society either don't have medical insurance of any kind or they can't afford to use the Medicare because the copays and the deductibles are onerous and prohibitive. And so we're talking about somewhere in the vicinity of a trillion wasted dollars in our current four point six trillion dollar budget in America, that essentially is aimed at medical services, not healthcare. Healthcare is not for sale. We have to invent. We have to invent our understanding of what health is in America. It means food. It means housing. It means transportation. It means job security. It means ending the 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 crisis of angst and uncertainty that exists in our culture that essentially drives us against each other and essentially blocks us from identifying with each other as family and community. So that that's just a basic opening. And so I don't know where you want me to go from here or whether you want further discussion, but we have to be clear when you ask the question, what are you talking about when you mean single payer? It's not anything that exists now. The only country that clearly is where well, the healthcare system is a healthcare system owned by the people. Guess who? Guess who? One country yeah. in the world.
0: No, don't know.
17: Cuba, Cuba, Cuba is owned by the Cuba. people. The medical oh society is owned by that the people. Everybody gets a free education. Everybody has free health care. And apart from the fact that we've been standing on the neck of that country, calling them a terrorist country for the last 60, 70 years is one of the things that is distorting their current system. But they have the moral foundation, the educational commitment, And the service model that brings all healthcare services right to the block, right to where the people live. And the doctors only have 800 families that they have to serve. They they live in that community. They walk that community every day. They see people every day. They have data on people every day. And people trust the medical community because they know that they are the bosses. They own the medical community. Whereas here, our medical community is arrogant, intolerant, and essentially uh, uh, violates the rights and the needs of the people. I I spent yesterday all day in an emergency room with a girl that was about to commit suicide. We sat there with the the mom for six hours. We couldn't get contact with anybody seeing the girl. Everybody sat there. We couldn't get any information. I mean, the situation was awful. You want an appointment with a doctor? You can come around sometime three or four months from now and see a physician. So we live in in a growing, barbarous system that has to be changed by law, by public policy. And I believe, to end end the the kind of uh, uh, rail, that the only way this is going to happen is through a direct vote of the people. No Congress and no state legislature will ever go against the lobbying money that they are drunken on and establish a democratic, rightful, publicly owned, Healthcare delivery, care healthcare delivery system as opposed to a medical market system. And we should never use the term "healthcare" when we're talking about what we live under. What we live under is barbarity, cruelty, antisocial, public policy, all driven by money.
0: Well, you used an interesting phrase. Well, many interesting phrases. That was a beautiful presentation. Thank you very much. You're extremely articulate and powerful. And it's always great to have people present who really care about what they're talking about. As opposed to sitting back and pontificating. Uh, Paul in the um in the chat mentioned Taiwan's system. Uh Paul, did you is there something you wanted to say or or doctor about Taiwan? Uh either one of you. Paul, I think you're unmuted. No, you're muted. Hold on. I'm not unmuted. disputing
16: what you say, but uh, Taiwan has the they were able to beat COVID during the pandemic, uh, because they have a single payer system and they cover everything and um it's probably, it is known from what I've learned and from my my information that I gathered, it's probably one of the best uh, systems in the world as far as single payer is
17: concerned. It's a very good system, that's true. Let me just tell you that we should go back sure. to Joelie because what happened was that after Joel did 676 and his work with uh, with Connelly, I hired him to work with me for a full year. We met every single Saturday for two hours on Zoom with 30 or 40 Peers in order to come up with a model that dwarfed 676. It has more in it, more profound insights, more elements that really relate to healthcare. For example, our training system is totally, totally collapsed. We're not training healthcare providers. We need to produce teams of health workers to work with education, to work with mental health, to work with rural and agricultural and farm worker health to work with the homeless, unsheltered community. Each of them require a different constellation of specialties to be in and with the people. That's not what's going on in our training now. We have to uh, somehow come to grips with driving public health leadership into the paradigm shift and the reform. And people may not even understand what public health is because you don't see it, but it's an enormously serious community that's organized under the aegis of a structure called the American Public Health Association. There was just a national meeting that was held. 30,000 people came to that meeting. It was an extraordinary meeting. They meet every year. Uh, the uh, the chairman of the public health department here at the University of California, Davis, just joined the PNHP organization. And we just set up a Yolo County chapter for the Physicians for National Health Program that's exclusively masters of public health and doctor of public health members in order to introduce for the first time a meaningful analysis and and, and, and model of how public health would transform our single payer thinking. People are not thinking, they use the term single payer, they don't understand what they're saying. Many people belong to single payer organizations, but they have yes, but, you know, as part of their membership. And they can't imagine not paying something, forcing somebody to pay somebody because they've been paying all their lives and they don't think it's fair for somebody to all of a sudden get healthcare as a right. So we're living in, in, a, in a very angry culture, a very terrified culture, a very threatened culture. And this, this election in, uh, in 2024 is going to be a turning point in all of our lives, in all of our lives and whether or not we have democracy, and if we have democracy, whether or not we have a rightful healthcare system or not.
0: Well, you, um, I'm curious. Um, um, where do you stand with what uh, Bernie Sanders has been um, uh, proposing? Uh, it's not clear to me. And you didn't. You, your whole presentation, until this this retort a reply with uh, with Paul here, you did not use the word single payer. What, what, what do we What do we mean by single payer? What is it that Bernie is proposing?
17: What I said at the beginning, single payer just means that we establish a single trust fund at the national or the state level in order to deposit 100% of every health dollar, all Medicare money, all Medicaid money, all CHIP money, uh, all of it, the VA money, all of it goes into one pot. And so that any any person can go to any provider, any professional, anywhere, anytime for anything to get care, whatever they need. They don't have to belong to Kaiser. They don't have to go through a particular uh, uh, insurance network of limited numbers of doctors. And we need to begin to look at the delivery model, Harvey, the delivery model. We have to understand that doctors, nurses, dentists, social workers, psychologists, speech and hearing people, uh, therapy people need to belong to teams. We need to be training people in community teams for caregiving in specialty areas, whether we're talking about the education community or the mental health community or the mental retardation community, whatever. My book, Public Hostage, Public Ransom, Ending Institutional America, analyzes and talks about why Medicaid is so evil in that it funded this American concentration camp that essentially held 6,000 broken people that was essentially drawing Medicaid dollars at the level of two to $300 a day. For each person that they held there until they died, short of essentially the $20 or $30 that they spent on managing, keeping people barely alive in this horrendous place. There's 80 photographs in the book. The the photographs are organized in clusters so that you're not looking at grotesquery or or spectacle, but you're looking at the violence of institutions. You're You're
0: talking about Willowbrook? Yeah,
17: yeah. Yeah, I organized and coordinated the federal class action lawsuit against the governor and the state of New York for crimes against humanity to shut that horrendous place down. Wasn't
0: there a film made about Willowbrook? uh,
17: Geraldo Rivera did a a major expose on ABC television and hopefully there will, yes, there, there are a number of movies that have been made about families and so forth, but we're in the process of looking at translating public hostage into a much more profound uh, analysis and story about the Willowbrook situation, whether it comes up in an individual event or whether we, we create a series on Netflix or whatever. I'm talking with the uh, producer of the of the movie called The Elephant Man, his name is John Sanger, to see whether or not we can generate the resources and the focus to convert the book into a movie. There are movies okay. about the families and and there are there's maybe about 10 or 15 shorts that have been done about the Willowbrook uh, uh, drama, but Willowbrook was incredible. And, and the whole thing had to do with following the money. You have to look at how the money is being spent, who's getting the money, and who's not getting the money, and how people are monetizing what uh, this magnificent woman, Beatrice Bolton, who wrote the book called Health Communism, calls surplus population. This is a young 32-year-old woman who has a very uh, serious uh, deteriorative neurocondition that wrote this book called Health Communism with her partner. And it's really a dynamite, dynamite book that people need to look at. It's a little tiny book put out by Verso Press in London. It's one of the books in my resources dropdown.
0: Okay, uh, we have forty-seven people with us. Uh, this is really fascinating. Thank you very really much great, sir, great, for the great, time. Great. Yeah, really of course. Great. And as I say, we are live streaming. Uh, we have people with hands up, but John Steiner has not spoken yet. Uh, John, let's get to you first here because you have yet to. Uh, we've yet to hear from you.
10: Thank you, Dr. Bronston. I just want to add to your Cuba story. Uh, It turns out our doctor, for a variety of reasons, ended up going to Cuba, learning enough Spanish to speak medical Spanish down there. And you may know this, found out that they have developed a vaccine that essentially works not just with COVID, but with other viruses. That's right. And he's been desperately trying to get the attention of anyone in this country to take it seriously. You can well imagine that could be challenging. Um, Could we communicate offline about whether you might have something to offer there? You got a pencil? I have a pencil.
17: (laughs) My phone number number is 916-798-4000. John, let me just say that they not only have invented a vaccine, they've invented a political system that is every bit as onerous for the United States to acknowledge as their vaccine. They have a square mile in the middle of Havana that's all pharmaceutical uh, workers that are developing a whole array of medical services. For example, with, with diabetes, they have a medication that essentially would would in, interdict the need for amputation, amputating legs for people that have a, a polyneuropathy. But nobody knows about it. This country cannot allow anybody to see the paradigm that Cuba has created. And they vilify it in every way they possibly can and try and prostitute it in every way they possibly can with us. You know, Cuba is like communism. It's to be absolutely shunned and avoided at any cost. But Cuba is a revolutionary society that anybody who has gone there, and I'm sure a slew of the people that are on this phone call have visited, that are absolutely moved by the energy, by the the imagination, by the by the by the humanity of that country, by the neighborhood community of that country. It is truly uh, heavenly. Apart from any of the negative aspects of it. That have to be put in place in order to stop the sabotage and undermining uh, that that we have engineered for their country. I mean, they they built their military against us at some level because they know that anything we can do to undermine or discredit that country will do, drawing people out of.
10: and, And I'll just add one thing, and you probably know this as well, is that Cuba is part of a relatively small consortium of other countries sharing their medical research together.
17: It's extraordinary. We gotta bring them home. We gotta bring it here because the single payer movement in this country has to be built on the Cuban model. Our health is built on the Cuban model. I've been there a number of times, met with the Minister of Health, met with all the top people there. I took 25 physicians with me, the, the chairman of the American Public Health Association, the head of PNHP back when, when I went a number of times. And, and it, is, it is moving to the point where I, every day I would cry. I would see something that would make me cry. I was so moved by the beauty and the rationality and the, and the, the love in that country. It is simply undescribable. You have to experience it. You have to experience what a revolutionary socialist society feels like, looks like, operates like. I mean, everybody has a PhD in that goddamn country. They're driving cabs because there's no economy, but they all have brilliant educations. And the pharmaceutical industry is one of the most profound development industries as is the film industry in Cuba. They have one of the top film schools in the world that all the top filmmakers like Spielberg and Lucas, all those people go on their, their faculty in Cuba. We don't hear about that. We don't hear about it. It's incredible. It's incredible.
0: What other countries are in the um, this consortium with Cuba to do progressive uh
17: John, do you know the answer to that? You're muted. Uh, you're muted, John.
10: You're muted. Hold on. Okay. We okay. uh I don't but we can talk to our doc and bring that information back to yeah, you guys.
17: Yeah. It's, it's, it's totally noble and we can, we can provide Harvey with that information. You know, and to, and uh, when was the last time you were in Cuba? It was about eight, nine years ago. Okay. I had 25 people with me, 25 doctors with me.
10: Thanks so much for your great work and bringing it to our attention.
17: It's not Thank great you. work. It's just survival, survival, brother. I mean, we we're dealing with such a barbarous society that anything we can do to humanize, build oh. friendships, build bonds, and break out of the, the limited, rigid you know, kind of framework that we think and talk about, it's, it's really serious. I mean, we need to imagine healthcare. We don't ever talk about healthcare. The Physicians for National Health Program, even APHA, they don't talk about what a healthcare system is all about because they're tied to capitalism. Capitalism is the enemy of healthcare, flat out, flat out. Now that doesn't mean that we have to have a socialist revolution in the United States, but we do have a we do have to have a socialist paradigm shift through single payer health care for our service system for people. You know, we we have a socialist system for the police, we have a socialist system for the fire department, we have a socialist system for public education, and yet we believe that we have to pay for health care. What kind of b- is that? Uh, um, it's, it's the gist, is the we, gist the gist of see?
0: If we got a that. Well, I gotta say, uh, Harvey, uh, one more question. Is oh, wait, wait, wait! Of, Just we can't use four letter words. I'm sorry. Bumped off the radio, but that was right. actually eight. I anyway. won't say what again. what Go is, ahead, uh, uh, is the gist of what
10: you're
17: saying on your website? Yes, everything's there. Joel and I put together of with 40 of the top people. I mean, the people that participated are, are shown visually and bi- biographically on okay. the website. When you go to the Thank website, just, just walk through. There are 10 titles in the model. Okay. One thing that we haven't done is we haven't worked with another very radical group headed by a fellow named Jerry Ashton. Oh yeah, we've had Jerry Ashton on with us. He's amazing, he's amazing. Eileen Proctor is is his uh, publicist. And so they're working on ending medical debt in the veteran community. And I never even understood the problems with the VA, but the VA needs to be included in a national single-payer system. They have a single-payer system that the right wing is trying to privatize. But they're an example of single-payer. The irony is that the University of California is a single payer system, but they don't take Medicaid. And and so they operate like a private system rather than a public system. And so the prostitution of our nonprofit health care delivery system is really robust. Let me let me say one other interesting thing that people may not know about in ACA, Obamacare, there is a legislative requirement for every nonprofit hospital in America. Now, get this. Every nonprofit hospital in America has to produce a triennial, comprehensive health survey report of their catchment area, identifying negative outcomes and how they're going to fix it. You can go to any nonprofit in the United States and ask them to show you that report, which is required by law. Now, what you'll find is that when there are problems, they don't correlate whether there are medical assets In those areas where the negative problems exist, because they don't think about the fact of healthcare being a right. They put their clinics in places where there's not even population yet, because when you put a medical facility somewhere, you build an economy around that medical facility, and all they're interested in is money. All they're interested in is money. And so one of the things that I'm doing is I've been very privileged to be able to be invited by a master's student in public health here and her team to do a major report that would look at one, two, or three of those major reports required by ACA and analyze the gulf between the notion of their solutions and the introduction of true public health resources in that solution. And we're hoping to set up something that we can take to the APHA national meeting next year, I believe it's in Minnesota, in order to talk about that and to move the APHA to single-payer. APHA is not yet publicly committed to single payer because their their core is still in the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party is not interested in healthcare as a right. That's not to say that some of the people like Pramila Jayapal and Bernie are not, but not not the APHA, not the Democratic Party. And to answer your question about where uh, the, the situation is with Bernie's bill, there was a fellow who was Bernie's major policy director for a long time, who's corruptly tied to not allowing a true single payer system but allowing loopholes to exist. That person is no longer with Bernie and I think that the loopholes have been taken out of Bernie's bill. That's absolutely the case with Pramila Jayapal where that person's work has essentially been eradicated from all of Jayapal's work as well as the CNA, the CNA the California Nurses Association had flawed bills like, like uh, AB 562 that were essentially loophole driven by this particular interest group uh, that talks about multipayer. payer and, and the objective here has been essentially achieved, which resulted in the expulsion of this particular fellow from CNA uh, employee. And so what's gonna be coming out from the CNA now in February, the, the CalCare bill, is gonna be a very interesting model, very clean model, but not a complete model.
0: Wow. I want to get to California, and uh, uh, Paul Newman, who's not as uh, courteous as you are, is is going to shout this guy's name out. But um, uh, Wendy and then uh, Mike Hirsch uh, and Mary, you all had your hands up, and then we'll go and and jump into California. Obviously, we're going to go beyond uh, 4 o'clock here. Um, uh, Mike or Steve or Wendy, if you can continue the the call, that would be great. Um, uh, William, you're a great, great great guest, and it's amazing we've done – almost 4 years without having a session on this when we've had one of our co-hosts uh, co-conspirators uh, uh Joel Siegel the great uh, one of the great heroes of all this uh, with us but uh Wendy go ahead please
8: thank you um I'll try to be really quick um I have a few points one of them um I would like to ask you to um comment on but i want to um thank you one i think that was one of the most like layman's um understandable explanations of single payer so i I appreciate that you're putting that out there and i hope it reaches more people so they do understand it um and i uh, two quick points one we there's no other country with medical debt and the whole issue what ends up happening as a consequence excuse me is that when you just end up with more people in the emergency room, so taxpayers end up subsidizing their care anyway, which is all get price gouged to the insurance company. So, I mean, anyone who's against, oh, I don't want to pay for someone else's, well, too bad, you're going to be forced to, and it's going to be much more expensive if you just right. agree to be a nice, decent human being. So there's that. I <laughs> Thank you for your reaction. <laughs> um and I'm actually, ironically, I'm I've never been to Cuba, but I'm sitting right now. I live in um, Hialeah, Florida, which has the highest Cuban population outside of Cuba anywhere. And you're right, the culture is beautiful. The people are so wonderful and community organized or community oriented, family oriented, and it's just really something people really should experience that that warmth and beauty. Um, so Hialeah, Florida, we have the highest Cuban population. We I, I just found out today actually that. Um, it has the highest enrollee rate of Obamacare, yet um, they're 60% registered Republicans. <laughs> so it's just such a conflict. So just on a side note, I, I helped convene the show. Um, I'm a member of the Broward um, Democratic Progressive Caucus, which is the next county up, and we work closely with the Miami Progressives and the Labor. So if you want to talk later about possibly bringing your message because <clears throat> i mean the democrats are against us too but it's just getting that message across like oh you call it socialism but you're benefiting from you know um what this is you get the my point phone i do you get my phone um, number? i will get it if you if you want to put it in the chat because this goes out on the radio as well so i don't know if you want that many people hearing it but um yeah absolutely thank you doctor nine one six so um
17: Nine okay six, we'll, seven nine eight four thousand right we'll, we'll put that uh, um, up on uh,
0: uh in in the, in the basic uh so uh yes yeah, so th- is there something you wanted uh, wendy be, because we're going to move on uh, uh thank you.
8: yeah yeah really quick thank you so much and this goes back a little bit to willowbrook and i'm glad that came up because i, I thought of this before um so when we talk about privatized health care um a huge thing like in florida last year we had all these major bills that take take away like um, accountability for like nursing homes and so we're not thinking about like the malpractice which is actually what killed my father I mean he went in for a, um, a crack in his back and died of pneumonia and this is what happens like all the time like all the time <clears throat> just from basic neglect and if there was like some oversight because when you talk about privatization you talk about like self I don't say self-governing but self-policing and like so I think that that's like a huge. Huge, huge factor into the work that you're doing is like how many families lose and suffer and people suffer because it's all profit-driven instead of taking care of the people. And that actually means that there's all these unneeded deaths. So um, thank you. I, I
17: address that in the, in our health. It's in our health. It's in one of the titles to eliminate that the conundrum. Thank you. For, the, problem thank you elimination. the problem is that the doctors don't own the services that they're providing, they don't identify necessarily with the people that they're serving. They don't see that as their mother or their kid or or their cousin or whatever. It's a, it's a patient. And you know who our first patient is for the whole first year that we're in medical school? A dead person. A dead person is our first patient. That's why we call them patient, because a dead person is very patient.
0: <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, I, uh, thank you, Wendy. Mike Hirsch, Mike?
12: Yeah, thank, thank you, doctor, for... Um telling us some truths and explaining things so well. I just want to uh, underscore some of the comments that you've made. Um, one of the things I forgot to mention that Joel Siegel did was he collected these horror stories about our current non-system. And it, they these horror stories became Michael Moore's documentary, Sicko. And huh. if anybody hasn't seen that, I urge you to please watch that. And they Michael Moore takes a bunch of people to Cuba who can't couldn't get health care here in the United States. You took them to Cuba and they got care there. Now, um, if that doesn't explain what the doctor's been telling us, uh, the Cubans have been very generous with their extremely talented and well-trained medical system. Um, when there's a hurricane or an earthquake, Cuban doctors arrive almost immediately and start uh, saving lives. So, um, maybe that's one of the reasons why capitalists in this country hate them so much. They don't charge anybody. A friend of mine was in Venezuela, another country that uh, we're all been told to hate and really shouldn't. And he said that in the hospitals and clinics, there are posters on the wall that say, report anybody who tries to charge you anything for health care, because it's against the law to charge for healthcare care in Venezuela. And we hear all these horrible things about Venezuela from the corporate media and from a lot of our officials don't believe it. In Venezuela, healthcare is free for every peasant and for the richest person. And that's why rich people tend to hate Venezuela and Cuba because you can't buy better than everybody else. Um, But uh, again, I I recommend SICO because Michael Moore took people to Canada to show how their system worked and took people to Cuba and showed how their system worked. And I, I I could go on about Medicare for all for a real long time, but I won't. I want to pass the baton to somebody else. But I just want to explain that every legitimate study by an economist, by an expert, by a public policy person, by doctors, by caregivers, has underscored one very specific thing, that if we had a Medicare for all system in the United States of America, we would save hundreds of billions of dollars and tens of thousands of lives, if you're not into that whole money thing, if we did single payer. And I've been lobbying on this for several years. And I talked to the former speaker of the Maryland um, House of Delegates. And he said, everybody knows that Medicare for all would save money and save lives, but it's too big a lift. And ironically, he died of a disease. Wow. So, you know, car- karma always bats last. Um, but but this, is, this is what everybody on this call needs to understand. Um, while the Democratic Party has not embraced single payer and generally does not even embrace any policy issue, more than half of the Democrats in the House routinely co-sponsor Medicare for All. That started when Mr. Conyers was the lead sponsor and then Pramila Jayapal took over that. And every year that legislation gets better and better. It's not perfect, but it's moving closer and closer to that ideal. And we absolutely need it. It pays for itself. It more than pays for itself. When people say, how are we going to pay for it? The question is, how are we going to pay for the mess we have now? We can't afford it now. We're going broke. Households are going broke. People are losing their homes because they can't afford to pay their medical bills, and and that's it, it's a human rights violation. It's an atrocity. I'm
17: on, a, I'm on a Zoom. Thank call you, call thank you, Mike. Thank for that.
0: that. Um, uh, Camilla Reeves hasn't spoken.
17: Camilla, uh, can we unmute you here? And uh, I mean, you- let me just say two things. The the sickle link is on the res- on the resources down screen, as is on a number of other major videos. So there's a lot of stuff. In that, in that website, in the Our Health website. The original c- title of the website was the California Lifetime Care Health Act. I want people to think about the difference between what lifetime care would be like as opposed to long-term care. The, the other piece of that is that there are three elements that have to be thought about in terms of single payer. One is savings, uh, one is um, uh, the development of the economy, And when when people, I'll get to the third one in a minute, I'm just blocking, but people immediately talk about what the cost is going to be. Anybody who talks about cost is not committed to single payer. They are not motivated by the moral imperative of what we're all about. So it's prosperity, savings, and um,
12: training, healthcare providers.
17: I'm I'm, I'm talking about about thinking about how we defend and, and advocate for Policy change in our system. The okay. cost would be minuscule compared yes. to savings and the prosperity. Because you're ending job lock, you're fundamentally dealing with reparations at a profound level. Especially if you globally budget all healthcare, professional education, and then convert that into assignments to year for year service in unserved deserts, health deserts.
12: That's right. Thank you. Yeah, Camilla. You know, oh, hold on, real, real quick, Sluggo. That's a very important point. That mystifies me that no Republican has co-sponsored this legislation when their constituents in the red states and red areas are losing doctors and clinics at an alarming rate. And that was going on even before the abortion bans kicked in. But now the, the, the healthcare deserts are spreading all across this country and people are dying because of it. And, and for a party, the Republican Party, that dares to call itself pro-life, it's a hideous hypocritical disgrace
17: it's amazing uh, 17 counties in california don't have an obstetrician 17 counties don't have an obstetrician in in california Camilla it's unbelievable. Camilla? It's unbelievable.
18: yeah hi okay um hello a lot of great thinking here um i've been given i've given a lot of thought to our healthcare system over the past 15 20 years and i agree it's a disaster but i look at it a little bit differently um and i i um I don't think that the problem is so much a financial problem or a, or a ha- financing problem, how it's financed, but as much as a model of care problem. We have a model of care that doesn't focus on the goal of getting the patient well. They don't focus on true north. They only allow narrow perspectives on, what, on, on how to treat. They're dominated by the big pharma. And they don't allow other disciplines where roots of illness are, are known to originate to be part of the model of on the diagnostic side or on the therapeutic side. So, you know, really a new commitment to true, no to uh, screen patient and to allow in multitudes to engage the patient, multiple perspectives, respecting their intelligence. Them the answers to the two most pressing questions that any patient with illness has, which is first, it is the so causes from the points of view the could cause their condition, so we can individualize care, and secondly, what can we do to help ourselves? We need to engage the patient to drive down healthcare costs.
0: Agreed. Um, a, a doctor, do you want to respond? Camilla, a little trouble with your sound, but I think we understood basically what you said.
17: of health comes from non-medical intervention. The Canadians were clear about this way back. 90%, that means 10%, only 10% comes from medical services. And our technology is some kind of of a distraction, as if in our exceptional society, high technology makes the difference. What makes the difference is outcomes, real health outcomes. So you're absolutely right. And again, that has to do with pushing people to think creatively if you're going to advocate for single payer, damn, begin to open your thinking up and begin to open up your conversations with other people up and begin to demand that we look at the transformation of the clinical delivery system that we have to create. Read our health, our health, our health opens with the first section of, of the, of the, of the website dealing with the definition of a wellness in the United Nations declaration of human rights and in the definition of the World Health Organization concept of health, and in the definition of a healthcare nonprofit in the IRS uh, 501c3 legislation. And we're not applying those moral, passionate, inspiring uh, visions to our thinking about the delivery model. The delivery model, it has been essentially focused on how to change the payment mechanism, how to get people out from having to pay anything up front in terms of service delivery because it needs to be publicly owned. The, the single-payer system must be publicly owned. That doesn't mean government-owned. It means publicly owned. And we need to think about the difference between government and public. And, and the, the, the enemy, of course, is private, privately owned, market Yeah.
0: And, and Nancy, Nancy Naparco, uh, you don't have your hand up, but you had talked about doing a presentation on healthcare, and maybe we can have another session where you would uh, lead off and then uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Bronston could uh, could join us with Joel. This is really, really fascinating. We're at 4.11 now, and uh, I do think we should end at 4.20. Uh, let uh, Steve, that's California time, let Steve and Mike and uh, Wendy go toke up, and uh, we will resume this another time. It's phenomenal. We still have 38 people with us. Forgot One thing I'll say about the people – on our grief calls they have a really long attention span and um, uh, this is really great stuff. Uh, very, very valuable and important. Uh, Tatanka, then Mary. Uh, and then I think we're going to wrap up. If you want get, to get your last uh, two cents worth in, please raise your hand now. Uh, go ahead, Tatanka.
14: Well, this will be fairly brief. Thank you, uh, Dr. Bronston, for showing up. And thank you, Joel, for inviting him. Um, I appreciated you talking about this I call it the hegemony of imagination, this prohibition of anybody learning anything about Cuba and the, the difficulty we have of, it's like a crisis of imagination to think outside capitalism and to think for the public good. And, uh, I have not yet been to Cuba. I made sure my kids went there and they, they were all changed by it. And every friend I've ever (laughs) talked to has been changed by it. And, uh, you're right to, uh, I can't remember. if It was Steve or Mike. Bring up uh, Michael Moore's book again. Uh, uh, movie Sicko. So um, I'm going to get your book, and I will reach out after I've gotten that and invite you to our Circle of One Hundred. Uh, we've been working for a, a volunteer group for over for about three years now. You got was, my number, right?
17: You got my phone number.
14: Yeah, I got your phone number. Thank you. And uh, we're creating a, a, a government, progressive government, and waiting. And so we're stress testing the different. We need. We need you to address our health component to to sharpen it up, and and people will really welcome you when we do that. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you, thank you. Uh, Mary Butler, if you could keep it to sixty seconds, and then Justin the same, and then we'll we'll move ahead. Go ahead, Mary. Uh, had you unmuted there, and now you're not. Thank you, Tatanka. Go ahead, Mary. You Would got you... me. Yeah, yeah. Sixty seconds, please. It's worth the. All end. right.
13: Um... Doctor, uh, we need to get rid of the stigmatism of uh, social socialist health care. In truth, it is indigenous health care, meaning that we are taking care of the tribe. Um, furthermore, we need to think about round-top medicine. This is a theory I put forth to, to change the medical system, where if a patient comes into the medical facility, they are seen by everyone. They, are, get, they get to go see the mental doctor. They see the dentist. They see the optometrist. And it's called Round Top Medicine because the heart doctor, the nerve doctor, they're all located there, and they meet once every three months with the patient and go over all the symptoms so the doctors can confer across the table so they can find underlying medical
17: conditions. Great. Sounds Uh, great. Wonderful. Rupa Myra's book, Inflamed, Mary. Rupa Myra's book, Inflamed, right on the money. She's brilliant. She's a genius. And that book, Inflamed, is absolutely a transformational read. Yes,
13: and, and I just wanted to point out with the VA, I really think that if we can, if we have a new child born every day, so we have a maternity ward in every hospital, we have a veteran born every day. We need to make sure that every hospital has a combat veterans ward, so our veterans do not have to travel thousands of miles to get the care they need. And
17: don't and then, that. Thank and you. And then for finally,
13: I need to state that. Isn't it ironic that the churches started all these hospitals to begin with, but would never let a medicine man walk through the doors? Thank you.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Very good. Thank you for that. Uh, Justin, uh, Justin LeBlanc. And then uh, I do want to ask Paul a question, and then I think we'll uh, sign off.
3: So on on the flip side of the uh, human element here is with technology being, uh, you know, America's prime attitude uh, that we, we solve everything with science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, the big push lately has been AI to do diagnostics. Now I'm in computer science and I happen to know AI can't even do a summary of our conversation, much less a uh, actual diagnosis of a heart or a brain. Uh, so uh, what, what do you have in mind for messaging to counter a lot of this fantasy sci-fi stuff instead of the human element?
17: You know, it, 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 it's very tender, Justin. I mean, the issue here is the degree to which we are open and warmly able to identify with one another and talk to one another. A conversation like this that, that Harvey has organized creates a, a limited but real opportunity to share feelingful ideas, feelingful values with each. Other. And that's that's the disease that has to be infected into all of us. We need to be infected with the disease of caring for the truth, caring for romance, caring for real solutions, caring for each other. And and that's that's a tough pull. You know, it it it's, you gotta have patience and there's no mechanical tool. I don't know the role that AI is going to play. I've been reading a bunch that's been there in the APHA journals and in the JAMA journals and so forth about the role of APHI in the New York Times and so forth. It's something that's coming on us. The level of technology is astounding, and, and it essentially is breaking us up into know people who know and people who don't know. For example, there was an incredible book called Bowling Alone, where the author a sociologist from Harvard essentially broke down every decade in the 20th century, nineteen hundred. 1910, 1920, 1930, and so forth. And he showed the difference in the first half of the century where everything led to people organizing and belonging to them. And in 1942, there was some kind of a switch thrown in, in, the, in the culture where from then on, people left the organizations that they belonged to, all of them, all of them, churches, whatever it was, uh, bowling uh, groups and so forth. And he, he roots that in understanding the experience that people had in that decade that essentially govern their consciousness and their understanding of society and their role in society. We're in a place where we're not talking to each other. And the new technology, this technology, Zoom technology and podcasting and so forth, is opening up tremendous exchanges, notwithstanding that it can be hijacked and essentially turned negative, but in large part with the kind of leadership and, and aged wisdom that many of the people on this call have, to generate conversations like this and ask important questions and stimulate thoughtful and imaginative answers will transform society. I don't know whether AI is going to, what, what AI is going to do. It may revolutionize something, but I'm not clear yet about how that's going to impact. I, I barely can manage my computer still. I mean, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> Google docs. Well, if, I'm, I'm if you have really heard me
0: uh, uh, yelling at my, screen here before we started. I'm sure and I'm, I'm in the same boat that you are. Right. You, you've been spectacular, Dr. Bronston. Uh, thank you very, very much. Um, uh, I'll give you, I know you want to say a closing, and then we got to go. So uh, do, uh, I do want to have you back and have more of a discussion with this. I also want to tell Anna. I'd love to have a discussion on the Zoom with our farm people. Uh, everybody should see this movie far out um, and prepare for... Um, uh, we call it the Naked hip movie, so everybody will watch it, but it's way beyond that. And um, um, email me for the link. and I will look forward to talking to you more about that possibility. And Dr. D, I, I wanted to tell Paul, I, I do want to, with Nancy, have a conversation again about these healthcare issues and ask what's going on in California. Uh, because, um, you know, they're, they're, the governor has intervened and, and um, he's intervened on the nuclear issue. Now he's intervened on, on healthcare, it's it's not cool. So anyway, with that, let me give you the final word, Dr. Bronston. Oh, slow please.
12: go real, real quick. Dr. Nancy had a, a word. Oh, or Nancy,
0: text. yeah. Go ahead, please.
11: Um, I agree. Thank you, Dr. Bronston. Uh, there's some discussion in the chat about technology. I want to say that AI doesn't do well in neurology and it doesn't do well in pediatrics in solving problems. Um, and I know the first time I looked at a CAT scan, my mentor said, this is not to show you some, the diagnosis, this is to support the diagnosis you've already met, made. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm disgusted at protocols and checkpoints, um, checklists to give medical care. And although, um, Everyone seems to think that's success. I disagree. And, um, you know, I, I see lots and lots of people with headaches and no one seems to believe that I can tell you from a physical neurologic exam whether you have a brain tumor. I don't need a CAT scan or an MRI. And, you know, we wonder how can someone practice without it anymore? Well, we had a, you know, century of people practicing without it before it was invented. And uh, it still holds. Anyway, I I think that um, it, it just bothers me that we're relying more on technology, and it's opening the door for a lot of ulterior, alternative sorts of craziness, and it makes me nuts.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, listen. We'll leave, let Lindy slip in a word here, and then uh, a doctor will will let you finish, and then we'll go. What a fantastic session. We will, Nancy. We'll have you back and make your presentation, Paul. Uh, Dr. Bronston, uh, Mike, er- everybody, it's been really amazing. Mary, uh, 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 go ahead, um, uh, Wendy, and then we'll wrap up. We'll let the doctor wrap up.
8: Yes, thank you. We truly enjoyed your presentation. We can't wait to have you back again, Dr. Bronston. Um, and to, to Nancy's point about technology, it's just, for me, it's a part of like the war on consciousness. Nothing can quite have the intuition and the intellect that men can. Um, I actually wanted to, I, Harvey's Abby Hoffman shirt, makes me want it has inspired me for a quote that um i thought of. yeah (laughs) that i didn't know um i I thought of it right after i spoke about tortuguita and now this quote is i i didn't ever think that it would pertain and relate to the medical industry as well but the abby hoffman quote is murder in a costume is criminal but murder in a uniform is heroic so um just i just want to thank everybody fighting the good fight and to keep it up and i love you all thanks
0: Love you. Okay. Um, um, uh, Dr. B, can you finish this up and then come back?
17: One of the most sobering things that we can deal with is a magnificent book by a woman named Isabel Wilkerson called Cast. And uh, a movie has just been made and is released in all of our theaters called Origin about the making, the writing of the book Cast. It is one of the most Uh, amazing books I've ever read. Beautifully, beautifully written. And what would be wonderful is whether Harvey can get Isabel Wilkerson on this call and to talk about the movie and about her book and everybody ought to get that book and read it in order to deal with their insight into personal humility. Cast is the name of the book. Isabel Wilkerson, African-American New York Times writer, is the brilliant, brilliant author who got uh, a, a, a Pulitzer Prize for her first book. Fantastic. We will do that.
0: We will pursue that. Uh, uh, doctor, I hope you join the uh, the Greek uh, family here. Uh, glad to have you on board. Lynn, did you want to say something, Lynn Feinerman? Or, or was that just... Okay. All right. Listen, everybody. It is 424 California time. Uh, time to go take out my teeth and have a nap. And uh, it's really great, everybody. Thank you. Another incredible week. Uh, what a great group of people we are, uh, Anna. It's been so great to have you with us. We let's do, let's make this farm connection. It will be wonderful, and we will pursue this. Okay, uh, no new exceptions.